2024. First Sunday back. I'm so glad to see some of you. I got some folks that are sitting out here today that I'm just so glad to see them back. You know. But also, got a guy here today. It's not his first time here. Been here a couple of times recently, but 30 years ago, he used to come and sit with Mr. Gant, sitting right down front down here. So it's a good way to start the year off, is to be in the house of the Lord. When we start the year off, we're coming to God. This is our new series. This is our new theme for the year, coming to God. And so the first verse that I want us to look at is in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a sweet invitation. When we introduce a new series, it's fun and frustrating all at the same time. Because I want y'all to just dive into the deep end, but I also want you just to kind of stick your foot in to check the water. I don't want to tell you too much, but I want to give you enough to keep you coming back for more. P.T. Barnum said, always leave them wanting more. And so he said a lot of other stuff too, but that's, that's one of the better ones. When we come together, whether you've come into the house today or maybe you've come online and you've joined us on Facebook or you'll view this later on YouTube, we are glad that you are here. My name is Ken. That was Harry. That was Brandon. We are your preaching team, your teaching team, your pastoral team, and we are glad that you have joined with us. We want you to not only come to church, but we want you to come to God. Come to me. What a pleasant invitation from our Savior. Come to me and I will give you rest. Now we're going to be resting, not rusting, okay? This is rest versus rust here. Resting in God is not talking about physical rest. It's not talking about taking a break from stuff and just sitting, being inactive. It's not relaxing or napping. I kind of got into a napping habit through the holidays. It's going to be hard to break, but that's not what resting in God is. It sounds nice, but if that's all we looked at coming to God and I will give you rest, if that's all that we looked at it as, we wouldn't get rest, we'd get more rust. And that's not what we need as a church. Rest in the Lord refers to a spiritual rest that involves freedom from confusion, freedom from worry, freedom from stress, freedom from useless human effort, but resting in God. A break from all the internal, external, mortal, spiritual enemies that hack us that attack us, that sneak into our stuff. Resting in God, there will be activity. There will be effort and work involved, but you remain in Him. And so with that as the overview, coming to God 
is an inward and outward journey. You see the little arrows going in and out. Brandon gave us a snapshot last year of the church at Antioch. And in his presentation, he listed these characteristics of that church. And the Lord just impressed upon me that Sunday and ever since then, these are characteristics that we need to seek together as a church body. If we were going to spend all last year trying to become the people of God that he desired us to be, if we were to aspire to that, then this is going to add more definition to that. Discipleship, mercy, mission, diversity, and evangelism. These things are going to characterize us as a church so that we can grow and do and become stronger, more useful in His hand. These things are important. None of these intimate anything about resting, about inactivity, but residing in God, in Him. Much of what we'll cover will be how to do these characteristics. How do they apply both to me and to you, but also to us as a body? There will be an inward discussion on each of these topics in the next few weeks. And the next week, there'll be an outward discussion. So what does discipleship mean internally to you and to I? What does it mean to our church? But what does discipleship mean as we look out to other people, discipling others. I'm going to be discipled, but I'm also going to disciple and pour into people. What does that mean? Mercy, mission, diversity, evangelism. What does it mean here? What does it mean there? We start today with a very personal look at our hearts. How do we come to God? And what does that look like from a very personal application. So, like it was said last Sunday, any great work of God comes with great preparation. So let's prepare our hearts. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for hearing us when we call out to you. Father, thank you that we can proclaim the name of Jesus boldly and that that alone will knock down walls, will cease attacks will quiet the storm. That name alone has power. And we, being your children, get to call upon that name anytime and every time. And you are faithful. You're a good father to help us and let us do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we looked at the verse in Matthew that just come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. Now I want to shift over to that prodigal son story. This is a very familiar story in the New Testament. So we're going to cover the whole thing. So Luke chapter 15, in the first few verses, just set the background for the story. He said, Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, Give me my share of the estate that falls to me, my inheritance. So the father divided his wealth between his two sons. 
And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. So when you come to God, you come in five ways. I want us to look at five ways that we come to God today. The very next verse says, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, so the first way you come to God is you come as you are. Okay? You don't have to change anything. You don't have to do anything. You come as you are. He was in the fields feeding swine, and he came to his senses. Have you ever been geographically lost? Now, if you heavily rely on GPS, it will get you lost. Eventually, it'll put you somewhere that you didn't intend to be. But have you ever just been geographically lost? Like when I was a child, my cousin and I walked up the hill behind his house through the woods, and when we turned around to come back home, we didn't come back down the hill, we went back down the hill on the other side. And it was his neighborhood, and he didn't even know where he was. How was I to know? We're in Austin, Texas, and I have no idea where we are. I was lost as I could be. But when you get lost, kind of remember as you think about me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I've done this with students. Hey, remember a time when you got lost geographically? Talk about that amongst yourselves. But when you think about that time, what you think about is the time when it dawned on you, I'm lost. (laughs) And at that moment, anger, frustration, embarrassment, the worst feeling about being lost is you feel stupid. I can find my way back from anywhere, okay? I cannot find my way out of stupid. (laughs) And that's how I feel when I get lost. How did this happen? I'm an educated, smart, good-thinking individual. How did, you know, the embarrassment is terrible. And my wife is very peaceful and quiet and would never rub it in. Just a little bit. He came to his senses. The realization was incredible as a start back towards God. But he realized the reality of where he was. Being lost is more than just a geographical question. For this young man, it actually began with realizing his financial condition. He had lost all his money. He had to go get a job, and the only job he could find was feeding pigs. This is where the reality began to set in. And he realized, because he is a sharp young man, something got to change. And he realized the necessity. I cannot stay here. I will not thrive here. I won't even survive here. 
something has to change. Now, how many of us, when we find ourselves lost, realize this? What we realize often is just how good we had it. So we have to come to God as we are. We also have to come to God with open hands. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Here's some lessons that he was picking up. I have nothing anymore. I used to have so much, but now I have nothing, but I still have someone. I don't have something, but I have someone. I have a father. Wow. How many of us, when we find ourselves lost, would benefit from first remembering that we have a heavenly father? Wherever you find yourself and you realize something's got to change, the first thing we need to do is to remember we have a heavenly father who loves us. So he realized I have nothing, but I know what I must do. He realized he was lost. He realized that even more so where he began to get lost. When I asked my college students the question about, you know, did you ever get lost? They're like, yeah, they tell the stories and all this stuff. And I asked them, when did you get lost? When you realized you were lost? No. It happened before that sometime. And you track yourself back and you find that wrong turn, you find that wrong decision, you find that wrong action that you took. That's where you got off the track. So you didn't get lost when you realized that you were lost then. But somewhere before that, you began making decisions. So he had to not only realize he was lost, but where he started getting lost and he had to confess it. He had to admit it to himself and he had to admit it to his father and his God, and he had to own his wrong decisions. I am lost, and I've been working on this lostness for a while. He said, my sin is against heaven, and my sin is against my father. And he realized, this is where I started going wrong. So you not only come with open hands, like I don't have anything to offer here, God. I will receive anything from you. I have nothing in my hands. But he also comes on broken pieces. There has to be a breaking that takes place when we come back to God. Verse 19 says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. No longer worthy. What an admission. A misguided sense of where our worth comes from is what keeps us lost sometimes. Where do you get your worth? Where do you get your value? Is it in your job? It's going to mess up. Is it in your nice house or your nice car? Not going to last. Where do you get your worth? Even to the point of saying, is it in your relationships to your family? Is my worth tied up in my relationship to Mary Kay? Some days, but more so, I get my worth because God loves me. 
I have a father. That was his realization. I'll go back to my father. And if I will have that realization, then I'll have a better sense of where my worth comes from. To be called your son, there needs to be a change in the relationship. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I'm coming back to you. Because I have this relationship, I know I can come back to you because you're my father, but I'm not worthy to even be called your son. I created the need with my sin. I created the need for a change in this relationship by my own choosing, and I'm willing to accept less than I had back when I used to be with you because I realize that whatever less is, it's far more than I've got now. He was in the field feeding pigs, and he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired hands because they've got it better off than I do. Not only accepting a lesser place at your hand, but you have to act on the brokenness. He could have stayed there in the field feeding the pigs and just wallowed in his own self-pity. I'm so bad off. Everybody back in my father's house got it better than me. If I could just go back, it would be so much better. But he could have just stayed in the field and worried about it. Sometimes when you realize you're lost, sometimes it's easy just to stay there in that realization. Yep, I'm lost. Oh well. Maybe I need to set up housekeeping where I'm at. That'd just be easier. Easier than what? What he did. He got up and came to his father. You have to act on the realization of the lostness in your life. If we're going to come to God and we're going to study all these things about how to be the church that God wants us to be, how to be the people personally as well as collectively that God wants us to be, we've got to act on the brokenness as God reveals to us how we are each, every one of us, individually broken in some manner. That's why we have a need for God and we are not self-sufficient. So you not only come on broken pieces, but you come as a child. The next verse is verse 20. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is the part Harry was talking about. The second part of the story is no longer about the son, but now it changes and becomes about the father. I always remember there, there are things going on before we realize there are things going on. He returned, but there were things already happening back on the home front that he was returning to. I love the passage in Daniel chapter 9. Verse 22 and 23, when Daniel goes out and he's had a vision and he's wondering, what does this vision mean? And an angel of the Lord has come to him to reveal. And the angel says, 
He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. God sent me to answer your question even as you were beginning to ask the question. God was putting things in motion. Even as we realize that we are lost, that we need to come back to God, even as we realize that we need to be broken, that we need to come to God with empty hands, that we don't have a position to come back, we need to realize God is already doing things. He was not aware that his father was waiting for him to come back. As you know, when he left, he packed up all his toys and said, I'm out. And he probably didn't even send postcards. He just left altogether, completely was gone. And he had no idea back at home the father was waiting for him. I remember hearing this passage talked about once and the guy teaching, he described it just so well and it's just in my mind. He talked about every day the dad would walk out on the front porch and look down the road. The son went down that road when he left. And the father would walk back and forth maybe on the front porch every day, maybe several times a day, and look down the road. Wait, what? No. Come back later, look down the road. The father was waiting there. He did not pursue him, but he was there waiting. So, the father, even before the son made his decisions to come back, was waiting. He saw, the father saw him first. The father ran to him. The father embraced him. The father kissed him. But the father did not say the first words. He waited for the son to speak. Your heavenly father sees you first. Your heavenly father comes running to you and embraces you with a big hug and a big kiss on the cheek or on the forehead. And it just feels so good. Can you imagine how that son felt for the father to run up and put his arms around him and just hug? He was dirty. He was tired. He was starving. And the father didn't even care. Father ran to him. But he didn't say anything yet. Why? The father waited for the son to confess. There's a beautiful passage in Psalms that talks a little bit about confessing. In chapter 25, verses 6 through 8. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. 
because of your compassion, your loving kindness. You remember me, but not for my benefit, but for your glory. Remember me. And he waited for the son's confession. And he said, I've sinned against you, against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come back to life again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. When we come to God, we need to come with expectations. When you come to God, He's been waiting, He's been planning, He's ready to act. And the Father knew the relationship had not changed. He's saying, the Son's coming back, and He's saying, I'm not even worthy to be called your Son. Just make me a hired hand. I'll change the relationship just so I can have a relationship. I know I have a Father. I can go back to Him. You know you have a God who loves you. You can go back to Him, but you're not quite sure how God's going to receive you. And so you're willing, because of the sin in your life, the disobedience in your life, you're willing to take a lesser position just to be in God's presence. And that's not a bad idea. But that's not God's idea. Because the Father knew the relationship had never changed. He said, this son of mine. He named him. He didn't say, well, we got a new hired guy. Go check in at the bunkhouse, because we watch a lot of westerns. We got a new hired hand. Here's the foreman. Here's you guys you're working with. You get the worst of the jobs, but we'll, we'll keep you on. No. This is my son. When you come back to God, he looks at you. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my child. Who Christ paid the ultimate price for and redeemed from your sin and guiltiness. You're my child. God, God will be there. He's waiting and planning. The geography changed. The attitude of the son changed. The father never changed. God will care for your personal needs. Bring out the robe. Bring some sandals. Kill the fatted calf. He's dirty. He got no shoes. And he's probably hungry. And let's celebrate. For this son of mine, who was dead, for all intents and purposes, was dead to us. He wasn't here. He was gone. He's alive. And he's back. Let's celebrate. Coming to God is what we all need to be about. Now that's a beautiful parable. First part talked about the son. How he messed up but came to his senses. Second part talks about the father. How he never let go of that relationship and was always ready 
for the son to return. When we read this parable, how easy is it for us to say, oh yeah, God was, you know, the father, because God loves us and he's gonna, we can just put God right into that role and yeah, I'm probably the son who collected all his stuff and ran away and wasted it all and made all the bad decisions. That's probably me too. But there's a third character in this play. This is the real interesting one, I think. Beginning in verse 25, now his older son, and you have to understand in that culture, when you divide the inheritance between your two sons or three sons, whoever, the older son always gets the bigger half. And so the young son who left took what was his inheritance, but it wasn't the majority of the estate. The majority of the estate stayed with the father because it was going to be the older son's. So his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And the servant said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf, and he is, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and pleaded with him. But the other brother said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him, the special one. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that I have will be yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost, and he's been found. I think too often I'm not the prodigal son. I do that enough. But I'm the older son. But dad, I want what's coming to me. I don't want him to have, I want him to get what's coming to him in a negative sense. And I think sometimes my pride of not leaving home, maybe my pride of being faithful to God, my pride of being, look, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm, I'm one of the three pastors in this church. And man, Lord bless me for that. Even on the first Sunday of the year, I came back and I'm here and I'm showing up. Good for me. See, God? I think my pride is dangerous. I think my arrogance comes from my pride sometimes. I think that's what we could suffer from. You might think, you know, I really don't relate to that younger son. I really didn't take all my stuff and run off and waste it all and, and be down in the gutter of life. I really just kind of lived life and things were rocking along and I was here with the father and doing the things and going to church on Sunday and showing up to teach Bible study and, you know, showing up for man day on Monday night and all that kind of stuff. I kept along. I kept, I kept doing. God, where's my reward? The father looked at him and he said, 
son, I've always been with you. And you've always been right here with me. And we have enjoyed the blessings together. And the relationship has always been tight. Don't ever forget that. And do not be jealous. I have the question here. Maybe you never felt like you left. Maybe you never wavered in your walk. But how will you respond to those people who come home to God? How will you respond? I was talking with a friend of mine this week. He's telling me about a broken relationship that he's in with a parent. And he said, you know, Ken, my question is, why did God choose this person to be my parent? Oh, that hurts. But then it dawned on me, Maybe the question is, why did God choose you to be their child? Church family, why did God choose you to be his child? Why did God put up with you when you were maybe a little rebellious, maybe a little not paying attention, but he loved you all along and you were together all along and that relationship was strong all along? Why did he choose you to be his child? Because he placed within you something resident within you that he might choose to use to reach someone else. And where the Bible talks about honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land. There's a plus to that promise. But it never says the mother or the father have to be honorable to you. You have to be honorable to them no matter what. Why did God choose you, church family, to be in this family? I believe that you are here because God chose for you to be here, placed you here within this family of believers, and you bring your gifts and your abilities you bring your history, you bring your experiences, you bring your ability to think, you bring your, your opportunity to love. God has placed within you reasons for you to be here. Will you exercise those reasons? Will you bring those strengths and abilities, those talents? Will you bring them and apply them here this year as we come to God. That's where I want the challenge of this whole series to be. I want us to be challenged to the very innermost part of our being, to search and to see, just like the boy in the field coming to his senses. Maybe we're not in the field feeding swine. Maybe we're at home tending to the flocks like we ought to. But we all need to come to our senses realize my relationship is with the Father, but He's doing things that I don't even know about to prepare me to be with Him. Church, don't let your pride and your jealousy keep you from enjoying folks who come back to the Father like the older son did, but don't let your pride and jealousy keep you from even waking up into your senses and realizing, I'm lost. I've sinned. And you might think, 
Ken, I'm a good person. I do right things. And God bless you for that. But you are not independent of God. Even in your goodness, you are not independent of that relationship. So if you forget about the relationship or you think you've got to come back in a different kind of relationship, God's got a different plan. He's still the Father. He's still the good, good Father. But we all have to come to God every day in the way that is most appropriate for you individually to come to God. The way I have to come to God today is different from the way you have to come to God today. But the way you have to come to God today is important between you and your relationship to God. So that's why I want to be an encouragement to you. I remember saying last year on the first Sunday of the year, one of my resolutions was, because I'm really great at New Year's resolutions, I've never lost a single pound because of a New, Re New Year's resolution. But I have never eaten sauerkraut because of a New Year's resolution. My New Year's resolution last year was to be a good shepherd to the flock that God has called me to. That's still my resolution. But I want your resolution to be this year to come to God, to allow God to stretch you in these five areas that we'll look at over the next couple of months, actually. We'll look at these five areas, an inward and an outward journey. Come to God. He's not changed. He's not lost. His vision and His plan are just the same. And whether you see Him working or not, He is busy working on your behalf for His glory. Come to God, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Dear Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the kind of God who loves us when we're lovable and when we're not lovable. Thank you for being the kind of God who is always watching down the road where maybe when we walked away, you know that that's the way we have to come back to you. And you're always ready. Thank you for being the kind of God that will shower us with blessing, but still wait for our confession and our admittance of need. Thank you for being the kind of God who is perfect in every way. You alone are worthy of glory and honor and praise. May we bring that to you today from the deepest part of our hearts, from the deepest part of who we are, individually and as a church. May we come to you and say to you, glory be to God. Now speak to us all individually, God. I know you can do that. And may we all listen individually for that still small voice that says, okay, this is how I want you to come to me this year. This is how I want you to come with empty hands or on broken pieces or just come to me, God says. Listen. Father, to our hearts as we respond to you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Stand with me as we sing. If you have a decision to make,
that you want to share with me, please come on down and share it. If you want to have a decision you make that you want to share with someone else here, get up and go to them. No rules here, okay? You can only, you can only come and talk to the pastor. Wrong. You talk to who God wants you to talk to. And if somebody's talking to me when you come down, Brandon's here. If somebody's talking to Brandon and I when you come down, Harry will come down. If somebody's busy talking to all three of us, then Earl will come up here and pray with you. Mary will come and pray with you. We are a church who wants to be together. Come to God. Make your decisions. Make them public. Make them strong. This is 2024. We need more of God. Sing with us.